Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. I hope you're all doing well. Um, before I get on with anything, I would just like to thank Mr. 76 for producing this episode. I would like to say hi to everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. If you've not gone over there and seen the other podcasts that are available there, you should because there's some smashing stuff to listen to over there. And if you're still struggling for podcast recommendations, why not head over to podbiblemag.com or better still check out the podbible podcast it's the uh, the podcast that i do with scroobius pip and adam richardson to accompany um the publication that we have the bi-monthly magazine so go to podbiblemag.com and you can check out all about uh, what we're up to over there but the job at hand today is to sit down and record an hour's worth of chat about tunes and life and journeys and creativity and i'm thrilled to say that i'm joined by jamie east today so uh let's get on with it um 76 could you drop the intro please i've got an announcement save our souls clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk why am i telling you this because they're our official sponsor yeah that's right Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So, if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, 
Put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Okay, we're recording and I'm joined today by Jamie East. How you doing? I'm good, you alright? Yeah, good. I'm very excited about this. Very very much looking forward to chatting chatting. I don't know. It's been ages since I've chatted music. And do you know what? It's, I was just thinking then, as I've done the intro, I just thought, do you know what? I haven't done this for ages. This is the first recording I've done for about four weeks, so oh, I'm, wow. I'm probably gonna be a bit rusty. But uh, I'm in good hands with you though, aren't I? Yeah, we'll be alright, we'll get through it. Excellent. Um so we have tried to get this one over the line for about six months, haven't we? There's Mate, been I'm lots flaky. of uh, text tennis and stuff. I'm flaky. I can only apologise. But you, you uh, know what it's like when you get stuck into your own podcasts and course, mate. and life takes over and yeah, you know, it's like before you know it, two weeks turns into six months. Exactly. Here we are. It's good. We're here. So we always start with a song with the greatest ever intro. Yeah. Can you remember what you put? I did. I put uh, I put Debaser by the Pixies, which. I mean, it's just, you only have to hear those chords. It's like, yeah. it's, 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 it's the indie Beatles. It's the indie um, Hard Day's Night for me. It's the ultimate. I mean, how old are you, Jamie? Do you mind me asking? I'm 46 this year. Right, I'm 46. Yeah. So I imagine, knowing and speaking to you before, uh, you know, I, I know we'll get on to your, you know, your career in music as well. Um, but we was of the prime age to have captured the indie disco, wasn't we? Well, you say this, but I've, I've got like a, a two halves of my musical life. I, I, I picked up on that when you sent the track over yeah. for your clubbing. So yeah, yeah, perhaps yeah. we'll get into that later then. Yeah. So, but, but, but absolutely. I, so I got introduced to the Pixies quite late. So mm-hmm. a lot later than, say, for this was, this was off Doolittle. Mm-hmm. So by the time I discovered the Pixies, they were already done. They, yeah. they were gone. Surfer Rosa was, you know, all the rest of it was mm-hmm. gone. I didn't get into the Pixies until I joined uh, the band. That right. I was um, which I'll explain why a little bit later. But okay. So my musical upbringing is, is really schizophrenic. Mm. So, but, but once you discover the Pixies, if you're into your guitars in any yeah. way, shape or form, and, and I think I discovered them via, after going back kind of hearing Kurt Cobain kind of talking about them yeah. uh, as th- and using them as an influence, you kind of go, ah, shit, right, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll go back. And, and then, of course, you, you go, it's, it's like opening a treasure chest. Yeah. It's amazing. Have you seen them? Yeah, I caught up with them. They did, um, saw them a few times, actually. They, it was, it was a bit of a pilgrimage. They, the first reunion they did when Kim was still yeah. With them, and they mm-hmm. were still, be- you know, they were still managing to walk on yeah. stage together. They played Brixton, um, and it was the first time they'd been in London since whenever it was. I was in that show, and it was like a religious experience yeah. when when they kicked into Where Is My Mind yeah. and Kim because they didn't do that. I think they played about three nights, yeah. and they they changed the set list over a few yeah. times. And I went onto the online and looked at the set list for the night before, and they didn't play Where Is My Mind. Really, I was like, oh my god, I will. They've got to do it. And uh, and it got quite close to the end. I was just like, shit, they're not going to do it. And they played Valoria. And then the applause went there. And then Kim just walked up to the mic and she did the... And I oh, like, amazing. Oh God, mate, I, I was tenting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
what I'll ask you then is, um, because I, I guess we'll get onto it quite, uh, I, I suppose, in sort of two or three tracks' time, your your, your career, uh, getting into music and stuff, but you, you still make music now, don't you? Yeah, 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 still. I mean, you know... The, there comes a point where you got to uh, you have to look look at yourself in the you have to look yourself in the eye and go maybe maybe top of the pops isn't going to happen. I mean, top of the <laughs> doesn't exist anymore. It's nice to make music though, isn't it? But it's still yeah, but it is you know it's still it still brings me as much pleasure writing and 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 recording now as it ever did do. You know, it's still it's still that immense feeling of satisfaction, and also because you realise that you know you're one of the lucky yeah regardless of, of how well you seem to be doing it, there aren't that many people that can actually put together a song from start to finish and sure. record it and go through the process and play it to their kids or play it yeah. to their whoever, even if it's just among friends. Yeah. It's still an achievement. Yeah. You know, there's still it's, it's probably the only thing I do creatively anymore, just for yeah. my own pleasure. Are your kids interested? No, I don't give a shit. No. <laughs> don't no. give a shit. <laughs> I've, I've, I've tried to kind of show my kids old YouTube videos of me band and stuff like that, and I hook them for about 20 seconds, then like... You're never going to be called Dad. There's no such thing, is there? No. I mean, the band the band that I was in, the Beakers, we reunited uh, after about a decade and did a one-off gig at a proper old sweaty spitting sawdust place in our hometown in Derby. And did that purely because like, we'd all kind of split up and got our own separate ways and come back and had kids and stuff like that. So there was... That was in 2011. and um, And that was for purely for the kids and it was nice i mean it was my two older kids my yeah. two younger kids were far too young to come but the two older kids like came and i think there was a moment then where they were just a bit like hang on a minute because we sold it out it was yeah it was rammed there were like 500 people there it was a proper yeah. it was proper old school punk pop gig as well yeah. everyone was gobbing there was beer being flung everywhere I was still crowd surfing everyone was sweat, sweat dripping off the walls yeah proper old school gig that they 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 just will never ever go to. Yeah. So I think there was a brief moment of like, eh, you're all right, but then yeah. you know, you're still going to bollock them the next day. So, how do you approach going to watch bands and being in the crowd when that happens at 46? Well, when it all kicks off. I saw the Wonder Stuff about three years ago uh, at, at Chinnery's in South End, very small venue, and uh, and they come out and it's just a full on greatest hits of the Wonder Stuff. Oh, brilliant. And, and and they know how Miles to make. Miles knows how to whip up a story. Oh mate, and it was it was just glorious. And I think I managed about two songs, and I literally had to take a knee. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was just. Mate, too you much. did better than I do. I just I, I bowed out gracefully. I just kind of like I just kind of stand at the back and just let them get on with it. I just think there's if you wear glasses like I do, it's already you're already in dangerous territory. You know. I'm a, I'd come out of there with no glasses, no phone. Yeah. All my change would be on the floor. My ankles would be hurting. You know, there's no good coming. No good coming from that. The thing that that was the thing that took me back was leaving the venue, and your t-shirt was soaking wet, getting freezing and cold and outside. The freeze, and yeah, you yeah. walked straight out of Chinnies onto the seafront as well. And so it was uh, yeah. yeah, and it was. I thought, blimey, I've not done that since about 1993. Yeah, and. Uh, won't be rushing back to that. <laughs> but my point being, um, in regards to you say you still make music now and and, and, and talking about the um, the band and that, what I'm interested in is how much emphasis then was you putting on an intro and how much do you put on it now when you make music? That's a good question. Um, I think, I mean, the intros are everything, especially, I mean, we were kind of like punk pop kind of punk pop rock and 
and it, and we were always striving for the perfect three and a half minutes. You know, you, you had to. That's just how you had to do. It, especially if you're trying to get signed. Sure. You know, I mean, when you're an unsigned band, you'll. You, there's, you think that there's this secret potion to get signed. There isn't. It's, it's a fluke. You know, yeah. you've got to have great songs and you've got to look good and you've got to be good live. But Your demo's got to get in the right hands, but hasn't ulti- it? But ultimately, it's, it's, a, it's a chances game. But you've got to be sure that when your demo does get in does get in the in the hands that, that you've, you've you've got twenty seconds to grab their attention. Yeah. You know the old kind of Kit Kat advert was true. You know yeah. they would just literally fling it out. Yeah. Um, and the song that eventually got assigned was a track called "Do You Behave Like That at Home," uh, which is still it's just a, you know I didn't write it so I can say it. it's it's a phenomenal song. Gary, uh, who was the main songwriter for the Beekeepers, brilliant songwriter. We'll add that to the the play. We do a Spotify playlist to accompany. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. So we'll add and, that to it. And, and the intro to that was one that actually I think we came up with in the rehearsal room. I don't, I'm not, I can't remember whether it was necessarily part of the song that he wrote, but but it was it was it was on it. There, it was a rip off of Dirt Wears White Socks, right? Um, and it's just this kind of like, and and it was the first song that actually as a band that we wrote in the rehearsal room that we thought that made the hairs on the back of our neck stand up and thought yeah. actually this is. This is this is a little bit better than just the playing yeah. at the all day or on a bank holiday kind of thing. Yeah, and and it was the intro that did that. And from then on in, we always looked. You know, you've got to how's, how's this beginning? You yeah, because it, you've got to grab them. You know, so an intro is everything. Really. Yeah, pop okay. chorus. So for track two, I mean, I've seen the answer. It's, uh, it's probably one of the more unique. Which one's this? <laughs> the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on right, you, Jamie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there's method behind the madness. Right. I'm curious. And sadly, as we just realised before we started recording it, the guy turned out to be a massive nonce <laughs> yeah. and actually historical sexual abuse of his own daughter. <laughs> so, so, so like, don't at me. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> this wasn't this wasn't something I was aware of. Aged, yeah. I think, probably four or something yeah. when I first heard it. So, right, the, the track I've chosen is is a, a piss-awful cover yeah. of You're the One They'll Want, the yeah. Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta uh, yeah. song by Arthur Mullard and Hilda Baker. Yeah. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a song that would never, ever, ever exist now. Yeah. You know, you just don't get this kind of seaside kind of uh, cabaret, so kind of yeah. more Wise Christmas special piss-take song yeah. is what it is. There were two... I can't even. I don't even know where Arthur Mullard was. What he was famous for? Sort of sitcoms just, and, and just kind of like yeah. I would imagine massively racist sitcoms of the seventies. Yeah, I, I definitely think he was probably in a few um, confessions films as well. That well, that that like, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. If only he yeah had followed that, his own advice. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a, it's a the music is just a straightforward yeah. cover of 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 the Grease song, but they purposely sing it dreadfully. Yeah. So it's proper. It's like it's the it's the vocal equivalent of Les Dawson piano. Yeah, it's like, I got chills. They're multiplying. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a decent. And I'm losing. <laughs> it's, it's that the whole way through. It's awful. You know, yeah. it's, I mean, it's out of tune. It's 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 not funny. Yeah. But the emotional attachment I've got to that is that it was one of the, it was one of the two seven inches that that my nan and granddad uh, used to have down in Kent. Uh, the other one was Save All Your Kisses For Me, Brotherhood of Man. Equally as troublesome uh, when you read the lyrics back to that. Um, and I just, I've just got, it, it was the first, it's one of my earliest memories was when you're driving, we used to live in Derby and driving down to Kent from Derby when you're 
four. I mean, that's forever. Feels isn't it? like forever. Yeah. You know, I can remember it's one of those ones where you'd wake up on the back seat and you were still in London. Or yeah. So before the M25, so you had to drive through London yeah. to get to Kent to get to the Dove Tunnel. Um, so I'd always remember the journey, and we'd get there, and we'd be in our pajamas, and you get carried. It'd be late at night, and uh, the first thing that I would ask them to do is to play the record. Right. And so I got deep emotional attachment to kind of like yeah. the relief at ending like a massive journey, the, yeah. the, 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 the fantastic feeling of arriving at your grandparents who you only saw like once a yeah. year, who like sport, sport you rotten. Yeah. And all tied up with listening to this, this, this yeah. shit awful song. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's, it was either going to be that or I, the tiger. Yeah. But it was, you know, the, I think your first, anyone that's saying that their first emotional attachments to songs are these kind of like, oh, the first time I heard Dylan, man. It's like bollocks. It, was, it would have been the first time you heard Bill and Ben. Yeah. You know, because that's, that's your first emotional attachment. I have been blessed on this podcast that nobody has ever said, well, I was listening to John Peel and he right. played, no, no, yeah, no yeah, one's yeah. been that much of so a tosser. everyone's been honest. Absolutely. Good. Yeah, everyone's... Um, but not quite a shit. <laughs> I, think, I think it was when um, the, 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 the benchmark was um, quite early on when I had um, Russell Lissack from Block Party on and I said, um, what was the first record that you, know, that you owned and truly loved? And he said, Stiltskin. <laughs> I just Fair thought, play. <laughs> that makes me... I mean, I'm, I'm full of admiration for it, but it also makes me feel incredibly old. <laughs> yes. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so track three, the song that reminds you of your time at school. Yes. So, I mean, this could have been any number of of ones. And it was really tricky for me not to choose In Excess because they were, they were kind of like my formulative kind of band growing up well let's talk about that quickly yeah. because did you watch the documentary at christmas mate i uh i wrote this i i, had, I spent my most of my professional 2019 working with in excess and so i so i i was lucky enough to interview them uh for um for a number of things so i wrote a big piece for them on the on the documentary and also on wow. um what else came out it was the, the live baby live uh, yeah. the, the reissue of the mm. of the live show so I started off by interviewing uh, Chris Morris, their manager. I interviewed John and Andrew, who I'd interviewed before, spoken to before, just from being a, a kind of super fan, really. And that and that piece ended up being like a big old kind of like double page thing in the Sun, which was great. And then I used the audio from that interview to turn it into a you know proper freelance mate. You've got to spread it thin. Of course, mate. Use the use the audio of that turn it into a Virgin Radio special, and. Off the back of the interview, they asked me to. It was like as a, as a fan, it was just like brilliant. So I wrote the sleeve notes for the reissue of um, of Live Baby Live, which was wow. just wow. And also recorded recorded my sleeve notes, did an audio version for them, which was played out in the cinema uh, before the film before Fucking the film came hell, on. Mate. So as a as a kind of like in excess fan, you know, it's quite difficult not to not to masturbate whilst I was recording that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So that was great. So so and uh, but I really enjoyed really enjoyed the documentary. You know, it was. Um, it was it was good and it was it was quite nice hearing all the all the all the behind the scenes stuff that went on with that because I think there was a bit of bit of a uh, bit of argy bargy around the licensing of the songs and um, and his daughter Tiger Lily had to had to step in and basically crack crack the heads together. It took oh, an really? email from her to go and stop pissing about and get my dad's music on this, you know. And they were kind of like, yeah, you're right, you know. It was great. It was I really enjoyed it and. 
the um, what I really enjoyed was the documentary was great as well, but the soundtrack that they did, I think you can get it on Spotify now, which was done in a real, almost like an audio book way, where there were no straight tracks on there. It was all merged into one with talking yeah. and everything. If, you, if you're an InXS fan, go and listen to it, because it's, 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 it's been really well done. And for the first sort of 10 minutes of watching the, the, the documentary, I said to my wife, I said, this is a bit different, because... I was just waiting for the cutaway to the, the talking head. Yeah, there's no, there's no, you don't get any. It's and, great. And I just thought, yeah, wow, this is voiceover this is pretty. It just felt a bit different from what yeah. I was so used to with music documentaries. Yeah. And it it took a little while for me just to kind of adjust my mindset for what I was expecting from a music doc. I think they'd seen, I think they'd taken a, a paid tip to kind of doff their cap to Supersonic. Yeah. Uh, which was the Oasis one, which came out about a couple of years mm. ago, which was, which I think did a similar thing. It did, yeah. It was all kind of like animated text and mm. kind of bubbles, and, and but, it, but it really works. It works really well, because what it doesn't do, it doesn't draw you out of the of, of what the people are saying, because the second you see, I don't know, the bass player or an ex-girlfriend, you go, oh, they look old now. Yeah. And you kind of, you start, yeah. you, you're thinking about them rather than actually yeah. what they're saying. I thought it was really cleverly done. And I watched the concert afterwards, and and it just reminded me that at that point there weren't a cooler man on the planet. Pardon? The con- there weren't a cooler man on the planet at no, that no, point. I mean, he, that he concert, was, I mean, it was fantastic. Like, was just like, and as a burgeoning kind of singer, I was at that gig. Yeah, and it was just it was just mind blowing. He yeah. was incredible. You forget, like, you know, you instantly just think Michael Hutchins was this beautiful man. Yeah. His voice is oh, fucking now, you know, you listen ridiculous. To, you go back to that live album and you're yeah. watching him do it and you're thinking, you know, they, they're at the arse end of a two-year-long world tour yeah. then as well and his, his voice was just absolutely phenomenal. Just yeah. proper nailed it. But I didn't choose it. No, but I'm glad we sidetracked there because I, I yeah. had no idea you'd done it. That's amazing. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't choose them many because I've, I've probably sp- I've been, I've been talking about them quite a lot. So, But, but yeah. I chose uh, Enjoy the Science, uh, Depeche Mode. Mainly because when Violator came out, again, it was a bit of a musical awakening because I was into my U2 and I was into my kind of in excess. I was into my kind of guitar rock, pretty pretty straightforward stuff. Mm. And then Violator came along and just just blew my mind in terms of the, the, just from a, from a pure sonic point of view, what Flood, uh, was it Flood or was it? It was you? Flood. It was Flood, wasn't it? Um, what Flood did, and Alan Wilder, you know, the unspoken kind of genius of Depeche Mode, the guy who comes up with the f- fucking sounds to make Martin songs sound so amazing. Um, Violator is just, it, it's about as close to a perfect album as you can get. You mentioned U2 before then. Yeah. I think U2 heard Violator and thought, right, okay. Well, yeah, it's interesting because they, because w- the same, we need- I think, so Rattler Number came out maybe a couple of years, but Rattler Number was about '88, wasn't it? And that was there. That was, I mean, I, you know, I've got a lot of time for Rattler Number. There's a lot of good stuff on there, mm. but um, but critically, they weren't where they wanted to be. They yeah. were kind of, they were, they become this kind of cabaret act almost, and a pastiche of themselves. And then Violator come, came along, and and probably did what Acting Baby did a few years later, what one or two years later, which was. It wasn't following anything, mm. you know. It was, it was, it was. You know, Violator was Depeche Mode, but it was Depeche Mode as you'd n- never really heard them before. Is well, it's obviously a precursor to fucking being on smack most most of yeah, the time. Yeah. But, um, 
but yeah, I can I can see that as well. You know, that the the references acting, but well, DX sevens were were still cutting edge, and and yeah. you know, DX sevens are all over acting baby, and I think. And um, was Acton Baby Flood? Acton, I think it was, well, it was Brian Eno, it was, it was Daniel Lanoir, and it was Steve Lillywhite. But yeah, there was Flood, or, did, or was it Youth? I think my, I think Youth came in to do Zuropa. I have a feeling Flood was involved. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it was, yeah. The Anton Corbin connection as well. Yeah. Right. So they were, they, were, they were intertwined, and also I think, you know, there's a bit of kind of begrudging, you know, a bit, a bit of good mm. competition between the two of them. I think because um, at the time there were no other two. There were two English bands that were just owned in America. Completely, and and I still find it incredible. I mean, they're probably my favourite band. Who did Cash um, Mode? Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, I'm, I live about two minutes from Basildon, and nice. uh, um, my club was where they were the resident band in the eighties, and oh, and so oh, that's very. I adore them, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and 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 yeah, and to see that point. And it's really weird because you mentioned obviously Dave Garn's addictions and things like that. As much as I love Violator, yeah, Faith and Devotion for me is that your one? Is that's it? the yeah. one. Yeah. And live at that point as well. Yeah, incredible. I mean, whatever he was jacked on when he got on stage, it worked for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, well, I interviewed um, Bobby Gillespie because uh, they were tour support on that <laughs> tour, weren't they? On that tour, I interviewed him last last year for Virgin and and. Yeah, we had a few off-mic conversations about that tour and it just sounded horrific. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're into your drugs, it sounded amazing. But, yeah. You know, Christ almighty. Yeah, what, his heart stopped three times or something. You know, for Bobby Gillespie to walk away <laughs> from an after show. You know that's heavy. You know that's <laughs> fucking heavy. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> but um, but when Violator came out, I was, I, was, I was in my last year of secondary school mm. and, and it was catnip to... To, to a kind of moody 15, 16 year old because it offered a it offered a sprinkle of darkness. Definitely. It was it wasn't pop, it was but it, it was sexy, it was it, it sounded sexy, it sounded dangerous, it sounded pervy. You know, there's a song on there called on Violet called Blue Dress, which mm. is just like I think which is basically about Martin Gore just demanding that some some woman turns up and wears a blue dress whilst he has a wang. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's... And, and the video was like of him dressed as the king, which is the Anton Corbin kind yeah. of director video of him dressed as a king, just wandering around mountains in a deck chair. Absolutely fucking yeah. rubbish. Meant nothing. Yeah. Look cool as fuck, right? <laughs> and I just remember me and my crew, um, the gang who I was knocking about with, you know, Louisa and Sarah and Lara and all those kind of dudes. All we listened to was this and the Joshua Tree and the, and a bit of Lloyd Cole and the Smiths and and I had a sixteenth my sixteenth birthday party. Uh, my mum foolishly let me have a house party. And it Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everything went, you know, they were brand new carpets, you know, so it was like there was puke on the carpets, people shagging in the other room. They were kind of like just, it was a disaster. Yeah. Um, but there was a point at about half past ten in the evening where this kicked in yeah. and it was your that was my kind of like it was a proper blood rush to the head kind of moment where yeah. it was just like I was, I was surrounded by my people and yeah. this was my song and it was just amazing how was school pardon how was school uh, it was alright you know I got I blundered my way through it what did you want to be a drummer at that point I, I did nothing I, I, I was I was I discovered quite quickly that if you're the drummer in a school, especially a secondary school, you'll always be popular and you'll always be in work because there aren't many drummers around or there weren't there. Absolutely. So, and I got quite good at it. I got, you know, yeah. so I started drumming when I was about 11 or 12, like proper, you know, take, take, I used to take a snare drum. I used to borrow the snare drum at the weekends because I didn't have a kit. So I used to borrow it and take it home on the bus. Right. And take it home, just badging my parents into letting me have a kit, and they wouldn't, and they yeah. never did in the end. I think they 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 loaned me the money to get a kit begrudgingly, yeah. but I became like quite good at it, and so drumming was my big thing at school. And then I think once you discover, once you get a passion or get or or, or whether it's photography or, or some kind of creative yeah. bug hit, bites you, everything else just fucks off. I think when you're at school, so was you know, it encouraged at school? Um, yeah, we had a good music teacher. We had a, uh, Mrs. Steele was a really good music teacher and like encouraged it and kind of, you know, and there was a kind of maybe about half a dozen kids that, that had all learned like various instruments. There's a guy called Nihal that could play the the, the opening riff to She Sells Sanctuary, so he was like, God. Uh, you know, <laughs> there, was, there was another, there was a guy called Alistair who's a good mate of mine and he learned, he could play, he had a Korg M1. And, and which had like these amazing like pl uh, pluck strings, kind of pizzicato that we used to play lullaby by the Cure on. Yeah, doom, boom, 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 all of that stuff. And and I and I just loved drumming, so I was always drumming to an excess. And actually, a really good band if you're if you're like into your drumming in the in the early nineties or late eighties was Deacon Blue. Yeah, it's so, like drumming to Wages Day. I got an A. I got an A in my music GCSE by playing along to Wages Day on the drums. That. <laughs> That's a tune, Wages Day. It's, it is a proper tune, and it's brilliant fun to drum to because yeah. it's all drums. The drummer did not give a fuck. There was no, there was no like, I'm going to give the bait, I'm going to give the vocals a bit of space yeah. here. He just went all in. It was like every, you know, every four bars was a massive drum fill. You know, brilliant. So, but um, but school was fun. But yeah, the, the, enjoy the silence. Kind of, it was the, that was the epitome because it was right at the end. I just discovered weed, and it it was a real awakening. 
Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because i've put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there i'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway i'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side so around that time that that sort of this was probably what 88 yeah and then because for me, I mean, you mentioned like the commotions and the Smiths and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that come to me maybe a, a year or so after that. Like, was you ever interested in like the other stuff that was sort of surrounding that kind of darker electro stuff, like Lucky Razor and Pet Shop Boys and things like the pop elements? Yeah, sort of well, stuff. Was that was so that this, ever on the agenda? So this is where we discuss my kind of schizophrenic kind of musical upbringing. Okay. Because you know, and our younger listeners will never understand this but i was a dj in a, in a in a nightclub in derby from the age of 14 okay so and and i don't mean just like pissing about on the decks i mean i was the actual dj in a nightclub to a thousand people three times a week um because that's just what you that's just what you did you know that was my saturday job and it was amazing that's a great job at 14 isn't oh, it mate tell me about well you know uh, you talk about how I was school i was revising for my maths maths gcse at two in the morning behind the decks that's fucking it, great well, it, well, it was great i mean my, you know, that's the the, the byproduct of uh, divorced parents <laughs> you, know, it was like, you know um it was quite it was i mean christ i'd never allow my children to do that but so what it meant was so I, I kind of missed out on a lot of the cool stuff that was knocking about. Yeah. Because all of my time was spent DJing in what was... It's an industrial town, Derby, you know, and, and the club was called St. James's Club, and it wasn't a cool club. It wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like a burgeoning house scene. Mm. It, was a working, it was a working class Friday nights. We've just been paid. I want to yeah. dance to some fucking Kenny Thomas. Thanks very much. Yeah. That, that was my... That was my upbringing, and it's invaluable. I, I, I mean, some of the music was, was dreadful. Mm. But in terms of opening your musical horizons up, yeah. I, still, I still argue that it was second to none, because whilst, whilst yeah, there was all this cool stuff, like your Nine Inch Nails were, were, was all kicking off, and there were all these scenes in the burgeoning house scene, which I never really got into mm. because that was the clubs down the road. Yeah. I knew them all and got on well with them, but it was, just wasn't my scene because I sure. spent all my time working in these nightclubs. So my musical upbringing was playing Erasure mm. and playing Pet Shop Boys and playing fucking Black Box and Technotronic yeah. and all this kind of... I mean, it was a real bad time for a lot of music because it was kind of the arse end of Stock Aitken Waterman when it was like not, not the good stuff. Yeah. Or what we class as the good stuff now. So. It, it, it's strange because the BBC are currently showing Top of the Pops from 88, 89 yeah. on a Friday night. And I love watching the old Top yeah, of the yeah, Pops. Yeah. And it is a weird point yeah, because yeah, yeah. Manchester hasn't really happened. No. Um, it, it, I guess a lot of the acid house stuff 
was never going to be on top of the pops. Only the really kind of and the crossovers, the the few that managed to cross over. Yeah. Exactly, and 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 a lot of the house stuff. And it's interesting that does make top of the pops. They don't know how to deal with it. It's like right, well, you, you're going to have to have a keytar or something. We well, can't just have someone standing behind. My mates used to run uh, Progress in Derby, which right. was like a, which was one of the country's biggest house nights. It was you know it was it was massive. And they had a track, it must have been, I think it was like mid-90s, maybe early to mid-90s, where they'd sampled Papa Don't Preach, or the right. strings, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, yeah. and, and just basically turned into a, into a lunatic kind of yeah. dance anthem. And it charted, it got, went top 40s, they had to do the pops. And yeah, exactly that happened, they were like, well, what are you going to... They do. Now, I think one of them ended up having to dress up as like a mad doctor doing like Brilliant. chemistry experiments. They had some dances there. Yeah. But yeah, exactly that. The, the, the TV just didn't know how to cope with it. So, so my, a lot of the tracks that I got into, I was, I was mad on Erasure. I loved Erasure. And, and, and I actually, one of the benefits of doing the job that I do now is that I've got to interview most of my musical heroes. And I had Andy yeah. Bell on the radio show a couple of, a couple of years ago. And and asked him a question that he'd never been asked before, which is always a fucking always a fucking bonus when it interviews yeah. that Erasure were easily the gayest band on the planet at that time. They were phenomenally camp and open about their, about their sexuality, which in the late nineties, in the late eighties and early nineties was, was 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 dangerous. Yeah, but. Even in the deepest recesses of working class Derby, homophobic, fucking racist kind of like yops absolutely went fucking crazy for Erasure. Like yep. properly, properly crazy. I remember DJing and, and you know, it was a rum bunch. You get you get like the DLF who are the Derby Lunatic Fringe. Every every yeah. town's got their their kind of like yeah. football hooligan kind of club. Yeah. They'd all pile in. There'd be the skins would be there, you know, the swastikas tattooed behind their ears, yeah, all the rest of it. You play Chains of Love, they would go <laughs> fucking crazy for them. They would go crazy. Not only that, but they would dance like Andy Bell. Yeah. And I asked Andy about it. I said, are you aware that you had this huge, like, homophobic kind of following? Yeah. Where, and, and it was, it was I'd, I'd love to have had the balls just go, to speak to them and go, how do you tally? Yeah. How's that your compute? love for this yeah. music and your love for that band and the fact that you dance as if you're 30 seconds away from bumming someone yeah. yet you would spit on two men holding hands in the street yeah. or worse. You know what I mean? It was, it was fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. But that's working. That, that, was, that was that club in a nutshell. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about um, uh, about clubbing and, uh, and, a, and a track from your hometown as we get uh, as we move through this. But Next, I want to know what the first record was that you remember buying. It was. Oh, so this, I chose an album, so I don't know which, you can choose whichever track you want from it. Or Ready or Morning Time Without a Shadow of a Doubt. Fact, that was, that was, that was, that was going to say, as long as it's from the second half. It's the Joshua <laughs> Tree U2. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think any albums really uh, affected me as much as that. I remember listening to borrowing a cassette off a, off a guy called Nigel when I was on holiday in Mallorca. It must have been, oh man, I don't know. It's probably around 87 or 88. And I'd heard, I think I'd heard, 
I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That charted, and it was a, that was that was quite a big crossover hit for them. I hadn't really been aware of you two before that. I remember seeing them at Live End, just thinking they were a bit weird mm. because I, I, I was always a bit bit wary of bands that looked a bit scary. I mean, you should have been wary of his haircut at Live It's a dreadful haircut. Yeah. And also, they just I remember, because I was a big Smash It's reader, and Smash It's used to just take the piss out of them for being miserable. Yeah. So, you know, the unforgettable fire. Yeah. You know, they just looked a bit bad. Yeah. You know, it's like Adam just looked fucking ridiculous. Oh, mate. Bleached afro, and the edge was losing his hair, and Bono just looked stupid. You know, Larry always just looked cool. Larry just looked the shit, didn't so, he? So, I heard... Slam found, I thought that was really good. And then bored on holiday, borrowed a cassette, and it was the Joshua Tree, and was just like, it was the first album I remember kind of like just listening to from start to finish and immediately turning the tape over again and just starting again. And, and, and it was the first album where album tracks became favourites. You know what I mean? It's like Exit on, um, on the Joshua Tree is one of my favourites. The Mothers of the Disappeared, you know, get all these, all these songs that, you kind of discover and yeah. and that was the first kind of like one where I ran to the, like the local record I think Air Price in Derby with with loose change that I kind of begged and borrowed yeah. for like, I think it was like four ninety nine for the cassette and got it and then opened it and saw the photography and then it's like who the hell's Anton Corbin and yeah. you know all that kind of stuff so for me yeah the Joshua Tree was was incredible and then you know managed to get to, get to see them do it when they did the uh, Joshua Tree tour a couple of years ago. And, uh, was, How was that? It was it was um, it was an interesting evening for me. It was the night that I realised I needed to get sober. Oh really? Yeah. Um, they were brilliant, from what I can remember, because I was just a mess, and I was so cross with myself the next day because I can barely remember the gig. But for spoiling it. Yeah, and it spoiled it, and I was just like, I'm not doing that again. And that was in the summer, and I. I in October, I stopped drinking. Really? And all the rest. Yeah. Fair play, mate. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you two, yeah. <laughs> that's quite a... Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but um, you know, it's, it's a bit of an obvious choice, but, but hey, you know, we love what we love. And and I think it's easy to, to hate on you two. I think people love to point the finger at... I love at, you two. At, I at, think Bono's at, one, of the, one of the greatest front men that we will ever have. And and the, the, the fact that that annoys more people just makes me say it even more. Yeah. Because you can't argue with it. You know, we went to see him. They did the tour last year for the, the Songs of Experience album. It's one of their best albums, certainly of the past kind of 15 years mm. and we went to see him live and they did that thing where they they go out into the little stage in the middle and it was you know and we we clambered you know right to the front of that and it was just brilliant and i'll argue for bond i'll argue he's a twat you know and and he must drive the rest of the band mad and you know i wish he'd shut up sometimes but that's what all good front should be but exactly what do you want ed sheeran yeah like you know you want something I want nice i don't want safe want you don't want nice with your rock stars do you you, want, you know if so You've got to put yourself out there. You've yeah. got to, you've got to, you've got to take a risk. And and you know, for every kind of like, what was the, that famous story about? Was it? I can't remember which tour it was on. I think it was the tour where they did Vertigo, the atomic bomb tour, yeah. or whatever. Where he would he would put on this bandana and, and he'd do that click thing. There you go. 
every time I click my fingers, yeah. another child dies, and someone shouted from the front row, "Stop fucking clicking your fingers!" <laughs> <laughs> so you know, he kind of sets himself up for a yeah. lot of this stuff, and he does look like a bird. Yeah. But for every one of those, you know, there's a there's a, a Sunday bloody Sunday, and there's a there's a the fly, you know, and his character, you know, the McFisto or the or the or the fly character. There's no disputing that when when they came back and did the Zoo TV tour, uh, that is one of the greatest comebacks and one of the greatest live spectacles and changed live music forever. I think in regards to sort of live production of yeah, like, it was just like shadow. nothing else will do. Yeah. You know, if I was Prince or Depeche Mode yeah. or whoever else or Springsteen or yeah. whoever else Madonna or whoever else was around at that time, you'd have gone to that and you'd have gone shit. Yeah, we've got a we can't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Track five. Yeah. A song that soundtracked your years in Clubland. Yeah. So you've had a fucking few if you started at 14. Yeah. And, and mainly all working really. I never, I was, and you know, it could, it could have been one from when I actually started going clubbing and, yeah. you know, when I left the DJ gig and discovered the blue note in Derby, which is where I met my wife. It's where I met my band, you know, and it was a proper fantastic kind of student place. It was, you know, pound, you know three cans of Red Stripe for a fiver on yep. a Monday night, that kind of stuff, you know, and it was brilliant. And the music, a guy called Ian uh, and, and Chris were the DJs there. And that was your Pixies. That was your uh, Blue Mondays. That yeah. was, you know, that was the, the stock kind of yeah. stock kind of stuff. And you kind of go, what the hell was that? And you go, oh, it was Gene. Who the fuck are Gene? You know, and you go and discover Gene and, yeah. and you know, all of that stuff. And that was the form, the you know, the formation of Britpop kind of arrived in there, and it was just incredible. But the one that I've chosen uh, is from when I was working in the clubs, and and I think the musical knowledge that I gained from listening to the old boys who I was DJing with there, because my old man used to be a DJ, and he's one of the first Northern Soul DJs in in the country. Ran a place called Clouds in Derby, and used to DJ with Peter Stringfellow, who was also one of the founders yep, of yep, yep. the Northern Soul scene. So my dad kind of created this Northern Soul scene in Derby. So me becoming a DJ, there was a bit of a passing the torch, and uh, and all the boys I was DJing with used to DJ with my dad. So there was it was it was really nice. I really enjoyed it, and my dad gave me his old Schweppes. Uh, wooden kind of bottle box full of his old seven inches that he wow. sleeve notes and they got nicked no way yeah, we don't talk about it uh, but they were full of um, Tamla Motown full of Northern Soul full of stacks full of full of everything really and I remember it's one of the best memories I mean my dad's still with us so it's not like a, a so I remember kind of like sitting there and I'd written I'd indexed all his records and I made him like tell me what they were like and I'd write the notes we were driving to a football match or something like that day. Yeah. lasting memory of that and um, and anyway so I remember the, vividly the first record I played out of that box was 5446 was my number the Maytel was, nice. and I was just like holy shit this is a tune you know and then just going this is it was just full of bangers yeah. and so that was all great but then and I'd, I'd often start by being like the warm up DJ so I'd do a slot and then the guys would come in and they'd get to do that yeah the money slot and get everyone dancing and they'd be all chart stuff it'd be all chart stuff and then they'd play a bit of t it was this is how old school it was you know that the owner would say at midnight you've got to play three slow ones so everyone fucks off to the, the bar. bar yeah you know or the erection selection at two yep. you know all of that kind of stuff so they'd play the chart stuff then there'd be a tamil a bit 
and then there'd be a rock and roll bit. I mean, we literally, this is how old, you know, Eddie Cochran, we play Eddie Cochran, yeah. and Buddy Holly, and everyone would be driving yeah. it for like three records. And then you put on a bit of Tamla, and you'd have Mary Wells, and you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. And then they, they, they'd play like five or six just tunes that just utterly fucking blew my mind. Because it was like it was a, it was like a funk that I'd never heard of before, and, and and they'd start off by playing one or two records. So it would either be Tom Brown funking for Jamaica, nice. and a twelve-inch version of that yeah. has got the most incredible bass line that you'll yeah. ever hear. And when you hear it through a system, and everyone's sweaty and the smoke machines on, yeah. it's like boom, boom, and it's instrumental apart yeah. from a bit of fucking chorus in it. It was either that. Or the DJ was a guy called Acker or a DJ called Soul. His name was Soul Holden. And what they would do is they'd let a record fade out. So it'd be some chart stuff that would just fade out. And everyone would be like, oh, no, the DJ's fucking made a mistake. What's going on? Yeah. What's going on there? Everyone would, whoa, whoa, everyone would be stamping. And yeah. Whoa. And he, the DJ would like, let it, let it go. And he'd turn the lights off. And he'd just press start on this record. And if you get the right mix of this, the 12-inch mix of Gil Scott Heron, oh. the bottle, starts with, and it's just silent. It just goes, And by the time it gets to quattro, there's a thousand people like, and it's proper. And it yeah. goes into, kicks into this jazz, funk, nonsense, insane, kind of like nine-minute long, it's a jam. Yeah of Gil Scott Heron's kind of really kind of like incredible lament about uh, alcoholism and addiction and sobriety and all over this. And there's a, like a three-minute flute solo in the yeah. middle of it. And it's just, I just, I remember the first time I'd heard it, it was like, it's like the aliens had landed. Yeah. It was, it's just phenomenal. Yeah. And got to see him play it at the, like this tiny little gig in Derby just around the corner. And he played it, and he did like um, there's another song because raining in oh shit pieces of man yeah it's just it's something about Washington I can't remember what the bloody thing the song's called now but go and check it out and uh, and I got to help out as a runner like as a bit of a stage and he rocked up and he was, it was the first time I'd ever seen cocaine in my life and he just <laughs> sat in his dressing room just like just it was snowing and I was like wow this is <laughs> like for Derby on a Tuesday night yeah. it was like fuck it <laughs> out what is going on I think he'd made I think he'd like he'd asked the uh, promoter to get him some yeah, decay and the, the prep's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's Tuesday night in Derby, isn't it? <laughs> and it's 1990. What are you doing? Brilliant. Like, I can get you some fucking skull. So, <laughs> so did you enjoy clubbing? I did. I did a bit. Yeah, I think working in DJ nightclubs that, that's kind what of spoils it a bit for you because you see behind the curtain, don't you? Because because you, you you're always trying to second guess what song's going to come next or you or you or it's a dj that you know or and there's always that jostling around a bit so you turn up at, you know maybe you've kind of like got half an hour off so you nip to the club down the road but you to see what there's always like yeah and and the owner would kind of like you'd, you'd be there on like to look out and see how many barrel how many empty barrels were outside yeah. the bat see how good a night they're having all that kind of stuff yeah. and and you kind of like you try and sabotage the other dj a little bit mm. kind of like oh, you know what goes down well here if you fucking play this and what you want them to do is double six, which double six means you absolutely fuck it up and you yeah. lose the floor. That's what you want. So you'd, you'd be constantly trying to trip each other up in a jokey kind of way. Brilliant. I've just, I've just 
played Sonia after this. And it, 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 <laughs> they go, really? Like, yeah. And they, and they, back they back with the Reynolds girls. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. drop. And like, <laughs> someone had just done a shit on the dance floor. <laughs> oh, brilliant. All right. Well, this is going to tie in with, with the previous track to a degree. And, and for track six, I want to know what a favourite song from an artist from your home county is. Yeah, so... It's slim pickings, I'm not going to lie. So you know, Derbyshire is not 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 mm. it's not it's not had its huge um, it's not got a huge success. You know, when my band's classed as kind of like one of the biggest bands to come from Derby, you know you're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but the the track I chosen it was it was a pretty easy one because it was it, it was a it was a it was a phenomenon, and it was uh, it was it's Jody it's, it's Mishra who, who who performs under the name White Town. Uh, with your woman, mm. uh, which was a number one, I think, all over the world. Definitely America. Definitely America. Definitely the UK. And and the reason I've chosen it is not only because it's 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 such a brilliantly perfect piece of pop music, but we were we were we were in the thick of it at the time. So this came out at the time that our, our second single, "Do You Behave Like That at Home," was out. And we were we were kind of like just geeing up to kind of like we'd just done the video I think and all this kind of stuff. And Gary, uh, lead guitarist and songwriter, was really good friends with Jyoti. Um, and if you know the story of White Town, this song, it would never happen now. It was, it was probably the last gasp of like. Was it Joe Wiley? No, it wasn't. So what happened was, Mark Radcliffe, Mark and Lard, had been asked to cover for Simon Mayo on the Radio 1 Breakfast Show for one week. Yeah. And Mark and Lard being the kind of like stubborn yeah. fuckers that they are, just did their own, did their normal show yeah. on a Radio 1 Breakfast Show in, in 1996 mm. or 6, which at the time was like proper, was still in smashy and nicey. Yeah. yeah. And they played, they played Your Woman. He, basically, Jyoti just sent Couple of tracks. Uh, he sent he sent the seven inch out to all his usual kind of. So he'd, he'd been going for a long time and plugging away. And um, and apologies, Jyoti, if you're listening and if I'm romanticising it at all. But Mark and Lard played it a bit on their evening show, and then when they transferred over to um, the breakfast show for the Dep, they played it on that as well. Yeah. And it you know it was one of those moments where. The phone lines were lighting up, mate. Yeah. And people just went fucking crazy for yeah. it. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's well documented, but he, I think, you know, recorded it on like a 20 quid microphone from Tandy yeah. and, you know, an old sample. And and it was really interesting to, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't know Jyoti very well at all. So I kind of lived vicariously through Gary's tales of it and, and, and what went on, but it became a feeding frenzy. It was, you know, Madonna was phoning him, and up, phoning him up to try and get him to sign to Maverick, her label at the time. And every single record label in the fucking world were trying to get hold of Jyoti and get him to sign. And Jyoti was a stubborn fucker. Yeah. So he, he wasn't that fussed about... It was a bit, clearly very scary and overwhelming. In hindsight, it was completely kind of like, what the fuck? But we, remember, we, were, we were on tour at the time, and... and Whenever we were in London, Jyoti would be in London just being courted by whoever, wherever. Mm. He would literally be going wherever the fuck he wanted to eat whatever he wanted. And, you know, he ended up signing a huge deal, like a fucking massive mm. deal with EMI. And he'd just fair fucking play. Yeah. Um, and it was just, 
incredible to watch. I mean, obviously, we were insanely jealous as well. Yeah. In, in, only a, in a way that only local bands of course, can of have. Of course. Um, that, you know, you wish them well, but equally, you're just like, Fuck. When people talk about scenes and go, yeah, that year when Manchester had it and, you know, all of it, oh, they must have all fucking hated yeah, each other. Absolutely. Because absolutely. I've been in that scene, for my, my, in that local band scene. Yeah. And as much as you just think, yeah, you know, it'd be great if like, all of a sudden we put our area on the map. Got, you want to be yeah, top of the yeah. tree. You don't want your you've mates bands doing better no, than yours. You've got no foresight. You don't, you're <laughs> no. not interested in the long game. <laughs> no. You want the blowjobs and the deal right now. And I don't care if you're doing good for the scene. Absolutely. Right. And so there was a bit of that. Well, but, but, but it was, um, and Jyoti was played it so well. And obviously got a really good re- representation. And, you know, it, it sorted him out. I saw him actually over Christmas in Derby and we're going to touch base and catch up and it'd be great to interview him now actually and find out what's what. So I might do that before you do. Well, um, I um, reached out to him years and years ago. Oh, did you? Well, I think he, I think he kind of, he, he withdrew. He did. Thing. And um, I've got a friend um, who performs under the name Cunt and the Gang. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a kind of one man comedic sort of music thing. Kids party. And, kind of yeah, all of that. <laughs> and, uh, but, but but he reached out to him in, in uh, not probably when sort of um, Joey went to Grand, yeah, and then started sort of hanging out with him, and to the point where he started a club night, right? Okay, and so I started going to Derby to go to his club night. Oh, nice. So I can't remember where it was. It was very small. It would have been, yeah. And I remember yeah. seeing David Devant play live there. Wow, okay. And, uh, and My Life Story. And we used to travel up. Oh, nice. And, and he'd, he, he would DJ, and he would always be playing like Talking Heads, Stevie Wonder. And yeah, he was yeah. like, great DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, that's my Jones memory. He was always of, known as, as, as he'd, he'd always wear a suit. Yeah. He'd always wear like a white shirt with no tie and a black suit. And he would just stand at the side of the de- dance floor just watching. That would be all he did. Um, but yeah, I think he he withdrew. I think you know he he the problem I think the problem he had was that, that he was never a, he never wanted to be a pop star and he didn't really write pop songs. Yeah. He just kind of well, either, whichever way you look at it, you either struck gold or you know. <laughs> you know if he'd done it by accident, he did definitely write a perfect pop song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah, I think he found it quite tough. Uh, success is is quite daunting when it happens. Yeah. So, so I'm told, but. Um, but yeah, it was, and, but the best thing about it was, and to digress a bit, was that Jyoti, God bless him, was asked to go. He, he did like the big breakfast and stuff like. He went on like did cooking with Johnny Vaughan and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Like you know, it's just like completely out of character for him. But and the best thing that he ever did was he was asked to review the singles for Melody Maker, and uh, and he said, "Yeah, I'll do that." And he gave our band single of the week in Melody Maker. Good lad. Despite Melody Maker going, we're not letting you do that. And he went, well, I'm not fucking doing it then. Oh, that's what you want. Melody Maker, like, they're not, you know, because they just wouldn't, they wouldn't write anything about us. Yeah. And uh, we got single of the week in Melody Maker, thanks to Jyoti, because he, he was just like, if you don't want it, fuck off. I'm number one all over the world, mate. What are you going to do? And I will never it. forget that. Love it. All right. Um, last track. And uh, it's your opportunity to play DJ again. So you can pick a song that many people may not know that you would like them to uh, to hear. So I chose a song that actually I only really heard last year at Glastonbury. I was having a bit of a moment to Sharon Van Etten. 
who's one of my favourite artists, and it's almost become a, a laughing joke with the, with the group that I go to Glastonbury with, where I'm allowed to go off on my own and, and have a bit of a moment uh, watching Sharon Van Etten. Don't ask. Um, and she played an acoustic version of... Well, it's an acoustic song anyway. She played, she played a cover of uh, Black Boys on Mopeds, which I'd never heard before, and I was just like, fucking hell, what is that song? And it turns out it was Sinead O'Connor, uh, who I love, and everyone loves Sinead O'Connor, but she doesn't get the credit that she deserves. I think, you know, she, almost in a similar kind of Bono-y way, is, is more known for a man ripping up the picture of the Pope and shaving her head and nothing compares to you and having a bit of a breakdown and, and all the rest of it. Whereas actually, so I heard that it was it was Sherry Connor, and I was like, oh, this must be like from her early days. This must have been from the Mandink, from mm. the, the Cobra uh, album, and it wasn't. I was just like, which made me love her even more. This was this is this song is next to nothing compares to you on um, on I do not want what I do not have. Uh, yeah. I think it was called, and I can only imagine the record label. After the success of Nothing Compares to You, kind of listening to Nothing Compares to You, and then having this on afterwards, which yeah. is just a vitriolic, um, angry, yet beautiful poem, mm. uh, screaming against Thatcherism and Tories yeah. and the class divide and, and poverty that you'll ever hear. And... You know, we talk about choruses and intros and everything, but occasionally the way a lyric scans just just kicks you in the yeah. gut. And for, for someone to write a lyric that's uh, this isn't this isn't the land of Madame George and Roses, it's the it's the it's the home of black boys that uh, it's the home of police that kill black boys on mopeds. Yeah. It's just like fuck me. I mean just seriously, fucking hell. Yeah. Where does that come from? Yeah. Um and it's 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 as pertinent a song now as it as it, as it ever has been, you know. And and I listen to it on a weekly basis, and it's it's such a simple song. It's it's almost cheesy, you know. The, the actual production of it is it hasn't aged particularly well. And it's I think uh, well Marco Peroni, who produced my band, the Beekeepers, I think played guitar on it. Um, oh really? Played guitar on that album. Yeah. He produced your music. Yeah, he produced our album. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. We came in and saved it, but that's a, <laughs> that's a story for another time. <laughs> well, I saw. Um, did you see uh, Sinead's recent performance on? Uh, it was. It was in the Late Show, wasn't the it? The Late she Show. Did all apologies. No, she did. Uh, she, she did, did nothing, nothing compared, compared to, to you, you, which she'd rarely done, and it was. I was so pleased. Fucking hell! Like I, my bottom lip was going. Yeah, yeah. I was watching it, and I was just thinking because her voice feels like it's. it's a little bit more sort of, um, it's aged, yeah, and it's and it's it cracks a little bit, a bit gravelly, and, and it bit, was yeah. just fucking delicious. Yeah. And then from that, obviously, I got sidetracked with all the other things I need to listen to on yeah. YouTube, and there was just vintage performances of oh, her yeah, performing yeah. She's, that she's song. Phenomenal, and, and you know, and if that did anything, that I mean, she performed that on Good Morning Britain the next day, I think, or, or later on that week, which was just, I think, or am I imagining that she? Didn't she say something on that show that ended up? Oh, maybe. She, I'm sure. She, I thought she, she may well have. On, but maybe, maybe. I'm not. sure something was said on that show that that ended up getting her a lot of attention. Uh, I can't think what she said, but. Uh, but um, 
but yeah, it was it was really satisfying. A because she absolutely nailed it and it sounded amazing. But yeah. B because everyone was just like, man, yeah. I mean, imagine covering Prince and being better than Prince. Yeah, you know that. Takes... That's what she said. She was talking about her relationship with Prince, right? And was speaking about how he wasn't very nice. And I won't say too much more yeah, yeah. Uh, because it hurts because I was a massive Prince fan. Yeah, well, I was a massive Prince fan. I saw him play. He played, do you remember he played the weird, did he play the Hay Festival once? Or they played some weird... In Kent. Of, in Kent. So I didn't go to that. Pip went to that. I went to that. Yeah, he said it was, I mean, it was literally it was, on a it was farm, a, wasn't yeah, it? it was bizarre. Bizarre. And it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was not great. Uh, it, was, it was a weird era for Prince, but he played Nothing Compares to You. And uh, he opened it by saying, I'd like to thank Sinead O'Connor for my house. <laughs> but I was really satisfied with him when she did that because not only did it sound great not only did she kill it but a lot of kids were just like hang on a second, who the fuck is this yeah and I remember tweeting out I was like if you like that listen to a cover of All Apologies oh, which mate. is just spine tingling then yeah. go back and listen to all the other stuff so yeah it's, it's, it's such a beautiful angry song yeah thanks mate mate that was really good fun <laughs> What's happening? What's happening? Uh, oh, you know, just keeping on, keeping on. I'm enjoying podcast land. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm writing. I do a film column, so I, I spend most of my week kind of watching films. Um, I'm recording some music at the moment with with, uh, with Gary from the band. Uh, we're kind of doing some stuff just for the love of it, and just I got. I do a previously on podcast, which is on hiatus at the moment. I just finished doing a series about Watchmen, which did really well. And I'm lucky that Sky Atlantic kind of support that and kind of integrate that with the Sky platform and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So that's good. And then I started up the Daft Doris uh, podcast um, a few months ago, which is literally just a monologue for me. I, I really enjoy listening to Bill Burr's Monday morning podcast. But it's, if you're not American, it's quite it's quite tricky to navigate through. Sure. It's all about baseball. It's all about basketball. Mm -hmm. It's all about the Knicks. And you're just like, what the fuck? You know, or or kind of uh, quite obscure American comedians who I'm sure aren't really that obscure. But, yeah. but I liked the fact that it was something that you put on and it's just like a mate talking in the background. So I, I started doing that. And mine's far much more boring than his is. But, <laughs> but um, it's, it's an hour of just me chatting and just talking about my week and stupid stuff that's happened and it's gone down really well and it's it's something that um and people are finding quite helpful and quite nice you know talk about sobriety talk about running talk about you know things that are important family and kids and there's no real agenda there um and but i've also you know it is it is a podcast so the the obligatory series of celebrity interviews <laughs> are there as well sure. so I've, I've got a few at my bag in fact as i'm recording this i just released the katie tunstall one that went out um that I recorded a few months ago and i got a few more interesting ones coming up as well and i'll put them out as and when really yeah so but you know i just enjoy you know what it's like we just do, we do it for the love of it don't we it's good fun yeah lovely thanks ever so much my mate. pleasure thanks for having me i've really enjoyed it and there we have it what a lovely episode. Jamie was an absolute gentleman. Uh, it was really, really cool to get to, to sit down and chat to him. Um, as, as, you know, as we mentioned, it took a while for us to finally get this one confirmed. And in the diary, we've had lots of sort of text tennis and stuff trying to get it all sorted. But um, yeah, it was great to finally get it all 
all down and recorded and uh, and and out there for your listening pleasure. Thanks ever so much for listening. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, please tell your mates about this podcast. Uh, subscribe to it. If you see us on the socials, give us a like, love, re-share, tweet, whatever you want to call it, um, because we're on all the social media platforms. Um, thanks again for listening, and I will see you next week. Bye bye. Oh yeah. Sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.